Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading One Christmas at Shiloh, written by Paul Lawrence Dunbar in 1904. Paul Lawrence Dunbar was a poet, novelist, and playwright born in 1872 in Dayton, Ohio. He wrote his first poem when he was six years old and by the age of 16 had his poetry published in the local newspaper. In 1893, he self-published a collection of poems titled Oak and Ivy, which featured poems in both standard English and what was then called dialect. Although most famous for his poetry, he also wrote several novels, short stories, and lyrics for musicals. His work allowed him to become one of the first African-American poets to gain national and even international recognition. In 1906, Paul Lawrence Dunbar died from tuberculosis at the age of 33. One Christmas at Shiloh is one story from a collection of short stories entitled The Heart of Happy Hollow. In the beginning of the story, we meet Martha Maria Mixon, a self-proclaimed witter lady who has recently moved to New York, leaving behind her no-good husband. Upon her departure, she tells him to seek and he shall find once he makes a man of himself. While making regular preparations for Christmas at Shiloh Chapel, Martha receives the greatest Christmas gift she could imagine. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from Girl Goodnight. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. One Christmas at Shiloh. Martha Maria Mixon was a widow lady, so she described herself whenever anyone asked her as to her status in life. To her more intimate friends, she confided that she was not a wee widow, but one of the grass variety. The story of how her husband Madison had never been no count even before the woe and of his rapid degeneration thereafter was vividly told. The fact of the matter is, Mrs. Mixon was wont to say, my man Madison was never no hand to work. He was the setting downest man you ever seed. It wouldn't have been so bad, but Madison was a lackly man and his tongue was smoother than the Nile. So it wasn't no shakes for him to fool old Mass about his work and get along just about as he pleased. Mass Madison Mixon himself was a mighty dolgent sort of man, and he liked to laugh better than anyone in the world. Well, my man could make him laugh, and that was enough for him. 
I used to lecture that man much about his own shiftless ways, but he just went along till by and by here come the war and everything was broke up. Then when the time come that Madison had to scramble for himself, there wasn't no scramble in him. He just wouldn't work and I had to do everything. He always had what he called some great scheme, but that never did seem to come to nothing. And once he got the folks to put some money in something that broke up, they come out the night to tar and feather him. Finally, I just got mortally tired of that old man's carrying on, and I said to him one day, Madison, I say, I'm tired of all this foolishness. I'm going up north where I can live and be somebody. If you ever make a man out yourself and want me, the Bible says, seek and ye shall receive. Because even then, I was a mighty hand to call them scriptures. Well, I left him, and north I come, though it just now break my heart, for I sure did love that black man. The last thing I heard of him, he had just learned to read and write and was running for the legislator till the Ku Klux Klan got after him. Then I think he signed a nomination. This was Martha's story, and the reason that there was no Mr. Mixon with her when she came north, drifted from place to place and finally became one of New York's large black contingent from the south. To her, the lessons of slavery had not been idle ones. Industrious, careful, and hardworking, she soon became prosperous, and when hunting for a spiritual home, she settled upon Shiloh Chapel. She was welcomed there as a distinct addition to the large and active membership. Shiloh was not one of the fashionable churches of the city, but it was primarily a church home for any Southern Negro, for in it were representatives of every one of the old slaveholding states. Its pastor was one of those who had not yet got beyond the belief that any temporal preparation for the preaching of the gospel was unnecessary. It was still his firm trust and often his boast that if one opened his mouth, the Lord would fill it, and it grew to be a settled idea that the Lord filled his acceptably, for his converts were many and his congregation increased. The Reverend Silas Todberry's education may have been deficient in other matters, but one thing he knew, and knew thoroughly, the disposition of his people. He knew just what weaknesses, longings, and desires their recent bondage had left with them and with admirable shrewdness contrived to meet them. He knew that in preaching they wanted noise, emotion, and fire. That in the preacher they wanted free-heartedness and cordiality. He knew that when Christmas came, they wanted a great rally, somewhat approaching, at least, the rousing times, both spiritual and temporal, that they had back on the old plantation, when Christmas meant a week of pleasurable excitement. Knowing the last so well, it was with commendable foresight that he began early his preparations for a big time on a certain Christmas not long ago. I tell you people, he said to his congregation, we's gonna have a regular Benjamin's mess. The color folk, being not quite sure of the quotation, laughed heartily, exclaiming in admiration of their pastor. That tall boy is surely one mess itself. Now any of the sisters that's willing to help make this coming Christmas a real show enough one, I oblige me meeting in the basement of the church after services. The brothers can go long home till they call for. 
There was another outburst of merriment at this sally, and it was a good-natured score or more of sisters who a little later met the pastor as agreed. Among them was Martha Maria Mixon, for she was very close to her pastor and for many a day had joyed his clerical heart with special dinners. Ah, said the preacher, rubbing his hands. Sister Martha, I see you's on hand as usual to help me out. And you too, Sister Jenny and Sister Dicey, he added, quick to note the signs of any incipient jealousy and equally ready to check it. We's all here the faithful few and we's all ready for work. The sisters beamed and nodded. Well, we gonna have some every night, beginning with the Christmas night and straight on and during the week. And I want to separate you all into companies for to take charge of each night. Now, I's going to have a powerful preacher from the South with us, and I want you all to show him what we can do. On Christmas Day, we going to have a sermon at the church and a festival in the evening with a Christmas tree. Sister Martha, I want you to bow the minister. Brother Tyberry, I don't scarcely feel like I's important enough for that, said Mrs. Mixon modestly. But I do the best I can. I hate to be like the widow's mice and excuse a meal. We ain't got no doubt by what you able to do, Sister Marthy. And the pastor passed the appointment of his other committees. After evening services, the brothers were similarly called in consultation and appointed to their respective duties. To the black people to whom these responsibilities were thus turned over, joy came, and with it, the vision of other days. The vision of the dear old days, the hard old days back there in the South, when they had looked forward to their Christmas from year to year. Then it had been a time of sadness as well as of joy, for they knew that though the week was full of pleasure, after it was over must come separation and sadness. For this was the time when those who were to be hired out, loaned, or given away were to change their homes. So even while they danced, they sighed, and while they shouted, they moaned. Now there was no such repressing fact to daunt them. Christmas would come. They would enjoy themselves, and after it was over, would go back to the same homes to live through the round of months in the midst of familiar faces and among their own old loved ones. The thought gave sweetness to their labor and the responsibilities devolving upon them imbued the sacred holiday with a meaning and charm that it had never had before them. They bubbled over with importance and with the glory of it. A sister and brother could not meet without a friendly banter. Hi, Sister Dicey, Brother Williams would call out across the fence to his neighbor. I don't believe you're doing anything to that Christmas celebration. Every time I see you using the wash tub trying to make bread and meat for that no-count man of yours. Sister Dicey's laugh rang out loud and musical before she replied. Never you mind, Brother Williams. I don't see your back bowed so much by the yoke. Oh, honey, I's laboring even if you don't know it, but you'll see it on the day. I allow you laboring the most to get that wife of yours a new dress, and her tormentor's guffaw seemed to emit some such benevolent intention. In the corners of every house where the younger and more worldly-minded people congregated, there was much whispering and giggling, for they had their own plans for Christmas outside of the church affair. 
You gonna give me the pleasure of your company to the dance after the festival? Some ardent and early swain would murmur to his lady love, and the whisper would fly back in well-feigned affright. Hush, man. You wanna have Brother Todd church and me? But if the swain persisted, there was little chance of his being ultimately refused. So the world, the flesh, and the devil kept pace with the things of the spirit in the great preparation. Meanwhile, Martha Maria Dixon went on her own way, working hard, fixing, and observing. She had determined to excel herself this time, and not only should her part at the church be above reproach, but the entertainment which she would give that strange preacher would be a thing long to be remembered. And so, almost startled at all that Shiloh was preparing for his reception, hoary Christmas approached. All New York was a dazzling bazaar through which the people thronged ceaselessly, tumultuously. Everyone was a child again. Holly wreaths with the red berries gleaming amid the green were everywhere, and the white streets were gay with laughter and bustle and life. On the night before the great day, Martha sat before her fire and hummed softly to herself. There was a smile upon her face, for she had worked and worked well, and now all was ready and to her entire satisfaction. Something which shall be nameless simmered in a tin cup on the back of the stove before her, and every now and then she broke her reverie to sip of it. It smelled sweet and pungent, and suspicious. But then, this was Christmas Eve. She was half drowsing when a brisk knock startled her into wakefulness. Thinking it was one of the neighbors in for a call, she bade the visitor enter without moving. There was a stamping of feet, and the door opened, and a black man covered with snow stood before her. He said nothing. Martha rubbed her eyes and stared at him, And then she looked at the cup accusingly, and from it, back to the man. Then she rubbed her eyes again. What? What? She stammered, rising slowly. Don't you know me, Marthy? Don't you know me? And don't you want to see your husband? Madison Mixon, is that you in the flesh? It's me, Marthy. You told me if I ever made a man of myself to seek you. It's been a long road, but I's tried faithful. All the memories of other days came rushing over Martha in an overwhelming flood. In one moment, everything was forgotten, save that here stood her long delinquent husband. She threw out her arms and took a step toward him, but he anticipated her further advance and rushing to her, clasped her ample form in a close embrace. You'll take me back, he cried. You will forgive me. Yes. Yes, of course I will, Madison. If you has made a man of yourself, I hopes to prove that to you. It was a very pleasant evening that they spent together, and like old times to Martha. Never once did it occur to her that this sudden finding of a husband might be awkward on the morrow when the visitor came for dinner. Nor did she once suspect that Madison might be up to one of his old tricks. She accepted him for just what he said he was and intended to be. Her first doubt came the next morning 
when she began to hurry her preparations for church. Madison had been fumbling in his carpet bag and was already respectably dressed. His wife looked at him approvingly, but the glance turned to one of consternation when he stammered forth that he had to go out as he had some business to attend to. What? On the very first day you here? Ain't you going to church with me? The business is mighty pressing, but I hope to see you at church by the time the services begin. Where did you sit? His hand was on the door. Martha sank into a chair and the tears came to her eyes, but she choked them back. She would not let him see how much she was hurt. She told him in a faltering voice where she sat and he passed out. Then her tears came and flooded away the last hope. She had been so proud to think that she would walk to church with her husband that morning for the first time in so long a while, and now it was all over. For a little while, she thought that she would not go, and then the memory of all the preparations she had made and of the new minister came to her, and she went on with her dressing. The church was crowded that morning when Martha arrived. She looked around in vain for some sight of Madison, but she could see nothing of him, and so she sank into her seat with a sigh. She could just see the new minister drooping in his seat behind the reading desk. He was evidently deep in meditation, for he did not get up during the hymn. Then. Martha heard the Reverend Silas Toddberry speaking. His words did not affect her until she found that the whole of his closing sentence was flashing through her brain like a flame. We will now be exalted by the Reverend Madison Mixon. She couldn't believe her ears, but stared wildly at the pulpit where the new preacher stood. It was Madison. Her first impulse was to rise in her seat and stop him. It was another of his tricks, and he should not profane the church. But his look and voice silenced her, and she sank back in amazement. He preached a powerful sermon, and at its close told something of his life and who he was and Martha found herself all at once the center of attention, and her face glowed and her heart burned within her as the people about her nodded and smiled at her through their tears and hurled amen upon amen. Madison hurried to her side after the services. I just wanted to surprise you a little, Marthy, he said. She was too happy to answer and Pressing his arm very tightly, she walked out among her congratulating friends and between her husband and the Reverend Silas Tyberry went proudly home to her Christmas dinner. Are you still up? Girl, good night. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.